Welcome to the Nurses for Healthy Environments podcast. My name is Beth Shank, nurse scientist and sustainability leader in Missoula, Montana. On the podcast, I interview nurses working at the intersection of health and environment. Today, our guest is Dr. Jasmine Travers. Dr. Travers is a postdoctoral fellow in the National Clinician Scholars Program at Yale University Schools of Medicine and Nursing. As a gerontological nurse practitioner, she focuses on outcomes for older Americans, examining the environments in which they receive care. I had the privilege of co-presenting on a panel on climate change and health at the American Academy of Nursing annual meeting this past fall with Dr. Travers, and I've been looking forward to talking with her ever since. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Jasmine Travers. Jasmine, tell us a little bit about your nursing background. Sure. Well, my nursing career started after completing my bachelor's in nursing at Adelphi University in 2009. I first began my nursing position on the surgical step-down unit at Stony Brook University Medical Center. And then from there, I went to the medical intensive care unit and spent a couple of years. During that time, I decided to pursue a master's as an adult gerontological nurse practitioner and consequently still spent a lot of my time on the medical intensive care unit with older adults. It was at one nurse practitioner conference that I attended where I met up with a previous faculty member of mine and was talking to her about the possibility of pursuing a doctoral degree. I knew I wanted to either pursue a clinical doctorate, which was a DMP, or a research doctorate, which was a PhD, Um, but I wasn't sure when I should actually go after either of these degrees, and she told me, why wait? You might as well do it now. So what I ended up doing was putting an application in uh, to pursue a research doctorate because I felt that I wanted to teach and uh, a research doctorate would be most applicable to that. So I put in an application in to Columbia. That was the only application that I put in since it was so late in the application season. And um, I ended up getting uh, accepted to Columbia where I started my PhD studies. So then like many uh, early researchers, I did not have a clear clue of what exactly it was that I wanted to research, but I knew it had to do something along the lines of disparities and in the age group of around 18 to 64 years old. What ended up happening though throughout my PhD studies is that I had to switch mentors who the new mentor that I had actually focused on a nursing home and older adults. But she had data um, regarding this group of uh, this population and said I could ask a disparities question within that data set. So I said, okay, no problem. You know, I'm not crazy about older adults at this moment, but I'm able to get my dissertation done. And people say that the best um, dissertation is a done dissertation. But while I was doing um, that study, looking at disparities in older adults and particularly uh, vaccinations um, in nursing homes, I realized how vulnerable this group is and how important uh, just research and care of this older adult population is going to continue to be um, in the years coming. So that's when I decided to actually focus more on the care of older adults and really expand 
that research focus to um, where older adults are receiving care. So whether that be in nursing homes, uh, in institutionalized settings or non-institutionalized settings such as in the community or in the homes. So I then uh, pursued a postdoctoral fellowship at University of Pennsylvania where I was able to start some of that work thinking about long-term care environments and health outcomes of older adults and then now continuing that work at Yale School of Medicine and Yale School of Nursing in the National Clinician Scholars Program. Terrific. Interesting, interesting uh, pathway and trajectory. And it sounds like it sort of snowballed and continued to lead you to interesting um, other opportunities and questions. Yes, it did. And I would say uh, particularly what kind of got me farther into this whole environmental um, impacts on older adults idea and thought was becoming a Jonas Policy Scholar. So in, last year in 2017, I had applied to become a Jonas Policy Scholar with the American Academy of Nursing. And really what um, this kind of fellowship is, is to provide training to early career nursing scholars who will ultimately contribute to shaping practice, education, research policy, relevant to nursing and the work of the American Academy of Nursing. And your job is to, in this application, is to kind of choose your top two um, expert panels that you feel that you'd be able to contribute to. Um, during this time, there were six expert panels that we could choose from and label the top two. And there were not very many that really were applicable to my area of research. So the only two that were kind of were close were the Environmental and Public Health Expert Panel and the um, Building Healthcare Systems Excellent uh, Expert Panel. So the latter was my top choice. And then the Environmental and Public Health Expert Panel was my second choice. And I ended up um, being accepted to the Environmental and Public Health Expert Panel. So at first I said, oh my goodness, uh, what really am I going to do on the environmental and public health expert panel? Because when I think of environment, I'm, I think of things like uh, climate change, um, planetary health, those kinds of things. And I'm like, my work really doesn't fit in there. But I felt that, you know what, this is another one of those serendipity things where I need to start looking at how I can infuse more of an environmental lens and public health lens into the work that I'm doing, and particularly related to older adults. Um, so that's how that work started and really kind of prompted some questions of how the environment um, and different long-term care environment, environments affect the health outcomes of older adults and their health trajectories. Interesting. So, so you, you've described a little bit um, working with the environments themselves, meaning, I think, the uh, locations, the facilities, the buildings, perhaps the f familial environment, perhaps the social environment. Is that uh, the sorts of questions that you've been thinking about in terms of gerontology and outcomes and environment from that perspective? Yes, definitely. So really how I am kind of define the environment is as this, like, thinking of objective and subjective characteristics of the physical, spatial, social, and technical context in which people spend their time, um, and particularly where older adults are receiving care. So as I said before, thinking about nursing homes, 
um, adult daycare settings in the home, receiving care from either paid or non-paid caregivers, and really seeing how these different environments are affecting the health outcomes of older adults. And when we think about it, we're, we might not recognize just being introduced into these different settings affects the um, health outcomes of older adults, just adapting to new settings, um, thinking about depression, thinking about vulnerable populations. Older adults are very vulnerable populations, and those who live in nursing homes are even more vulnerable because of their frailty, because of their multiple morbidities, their decreased activities of daily living um, abilities, their higher risk for infections and um, other diseases. So just paying attention to kind of all of the, the different factors that really feed into how older adults are affected in, in these various settings was something that I was drawn to as I need to really focus on a little bit more. Interesting. I, and it seems to me that the question, th that very question applies to this other idea of environment in terms of planetary environment or natural environment. And I, I think this discussion is really interesting because of the complexity of that word and concept. And it's really a lot of different concepts. And we sometimes put them all in the same bucket, though, clearly, uh, what you've been addressing is the more immediate environment. And what I'm addressing a lot is the larger environment. And yet, I think there's some real similarities in terms of what is the individual interaction with that environment? What are some of the features that make better health outcomes more likely, that make quality of life more likely, that make recovery and uh, adaptation more likely? Um, so, so if you think about where you had come from in terms of your perspective on this immediate environment for older adults, and a little bit of what you've been learning perhaps on the uh, expert panel, the uh, Public Health and Environmental Expert Panel, or this recent foray into climate change. D d has that shifted your perspective or um, added, um, I don't know, distance maybe uh, in terms of the reach of environment onto health? Yeah, so the, you bring up a, a great point in regards to kind of looking at um, looking at this work differently, but we, we all kind of have the same goals in mind. Um, it's almost like the basic um, sci research scientists and then the translational research scientists. Um, but so for an example, kind of what also like stirs me up um, in regards to like uh, what happens first or, or addressing the chicken and the egg. So last year in Florida, um, when Hurricane Irma hit, at least 12 nursing home residents died. So during that time, so a big thing where why um, many of these residents died was because of the heat. The air conditioner, the air conditioning was knocked out. Mm -hmm. And when we look about, when we look at how nursing homes are re regulated, one of the things that um, the nursing home was cited for is that they didn't. Um, recognize the risk of the rising temperatures um, in that nursing home. So apparently the temperatures had raised to 99 degrees. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until three days after the um, air conditioning had knocked out that now a nurse said, okay, let's evacuate the residents. But um, according to proper regulations, they were supposed to have been, they should have 
um, evacuated the residents prior to that. So that's like looking at the processes of care um, that essentially, you know, in this environment affected the health outcomes of older adults, but was not addressed at a time that it needed to be addressed. Mm -hmm. So not just kind of um, now as a result of a disaster happening, okay, how does a disaster affect the older adults? which, yes, the disasters affects older adults, vulnerable populations, many populations, but just the simple processes in place before that. Another thing that um, the nursing homes, are, that nursing home in particular, um, was, was receiving uh, a little slack about was that there was potential understaffing. Uh, there should have been three times the amount of certified nursing assistants on... Um, on that, that during that time, which there wasn't that that number, which affects the care that um, nursing home residents should have received, and then just the response to um, this this disaster that occurred. So right, so it's so it's like that preparation that was not in place that needed to be in place. So I really try to focus on kind of how the environment is set up prior to actual. Um, disasters of that nature um, occurring so that we're able to respond to them in a meaningful and practical way. Do you, are you aware of any work underway that's uh, starting to help or encourage or force nursing homes and others to uh, think about those things and mitigate some of that, those challenges? Well, particularly in response to the nursing home um, in Florida, in regards to the whole generator, I, what I've heard is that now they have issued requirements and the, in regards to the amounts of generators that you need to have. So you need to have a backup generator. In regards to the actual processes, uh, I don't, I haven't heard particularly of anything um, underway with that. But nursing homes should have um, emergency preparedness plans in place where they can get cited for and they're regulated for. They should have a certain amount of days worth of food available. Um, they should be monitoring the temperatures in the facilities. So those are things that they are regulated for and that they are inspected for on a yearly basis. So every nine, to 15, nine months to 15 months, they're inspected for. Interesting. Um, we just had a community um, event. It was a resilience we're to develop a more resilient community. So it's this uh, multi-stepped process. But I was on a health group and we were talking about some of the risks. And one of the big ones that came up for the elderly, particularly in, on top of all these other things that we've been discussing, is social isolation. Do you, what is your experience with that as a phenomenon of the elderly? Is that... Mm -hmm. Uh, something that, you know, is experienced a lot? Is that sort of across the nation or the world? Let's talk about that. Yeah, a bit. no, that's a good question. And that's actually where a piece of my work is looking at as well. So um, right now, currently, I'm working on a project where we are comparing various outcomes. So we're comparing emotional, mental, and physical medical outcomes um, between the nursing home setting and the um, community setting. So particularly looking at um, 
So say, so for example, emotional outcomes, so something like social isolation, right? Right now, we're seeing a big emphasis on receiving long-term care in the community setting for as long as possible. We want older adults to remain in their homes in the least restrictive environments for as long as possible. But do we really understand what is going on in the community setting, which is not necessarily going on in the nursing homes? Because right now we label nursing homes as bad. If you go into a nursing home, you're going to die. That's how, that's how many older adults feel in their families, that that's the last resort. But my thing is, is that it's possible that we're still seeing issues in the, the community environment that we may or may not um, see in nursing homes. So overall, my general hypothesis is that, yes, we might see better emotional and um, mental health uh, outcomes in community settings, which, which um, may be the fact that people are able to be around home, they're able to be in their environment that they know and want to be in, as opposed to nursing homes where you might see better uh, medical outcomes, where you have someone attending to you um, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you're getting your medications, you're having various ailments addressed around the clock, but we still might see social isolation in the homes, despite whatever the case might be, despite keeping the person in the setting, in the, the older adult in the setting where they want to be in. But um, there are other factors that we might see that uh, will play out with in regards to social isolation, not being able to go out and walk. There are older adults that come in to where I'm at right now to the VA and say that, you know, all I want to do is walk outside. But because now the older adult is um, experiencing signs of dementia and the family and healthcare providers are concerned about them being lost or getting hurt, they're not allowing the older adult to go outside. So they have to stay inside where now they feel socially isolated where all they want to do is go outside. Um, then there are older adults who say, I want to be able to go to an adult daycare setting or be able to use my financial resources to pay for managed care where I receive my care outside of the home. Where now some of, I'm not sure if, you're, if you've heard of, um, in some states they're allowing for family caregivers to get paid. But if that's the case, if family caregivers can get paid, um, and those family caregivers who want to get paid, they'll kind of um, restrict their older adult family member from going out and getting mm -hmm. services from places where they can um, receive care in other settings. Mm -hmm. Because if that were the case, they're not, they're not able to receive the care. And I've had older adults say that, you know, they, they want to go out of the house. They want to be able to receive care elsewhere, but because their family member says that they will become estranged from them that they don't, um, that they decide to just stay at home and, you know, and kind of experience a social isolation where they're not getting the care that they need to be. And they're actually, um, you know, being, uh, financially abused in some regards. Mm. Um, but social, social, socialization overall in general is a big concept. Mm -hmm. A lot of focus groups that I've had, um, in various settings, people talk about, um, just, enjoying the fact that they're able to go somewhere, they're able to make friends, they're able to participate in activities um, is, is very important to them. Right. And, and also then important for um, others to understand their vulnerabilities or, um, 
when they might need particular help. Exactly. Yeah. Challenging. Uh, and um, from what I read, the baby boomers are going to really test the system as more and more people need uh, additional care as they age. Is that uh, something that you're working toward or that the, I should, I guess the sector, the elder care sector is uh, thinking a lot about right now? Yes, definitely. And that's, that's for one thing, that's kind of what drove my interest into older adults mm -hmm. and kind of what like sustains my interest in the older adult realm and particularly long-term care. So as the, um, the baby boomers are, you know, aging, we are seeing or proposed to see at least two thirds of older adults needing some form of long-term care. So that's really like, oh my goodness, all these people need long-term care and how are we really um, optimizing the care that older adults are receiving despite whatever whatever, whatever environment they receive this um, long-term care in. You know, nursing homes aren't going away. So we can't ignore nursing homes and say, you know, we want everyone to just live in community care and we just optimize care in communities. So thinking about how do we really address the inefficiencies in all long-term care environments for older adults as a lot of people are gonna need um, this care. So I think about it as, oh my goodness, you know, not just like my family members, my loved ones, my friends um, that are gonna need this care, but at some point in time, I may need this care. So the, the issues around this is that uh, people don't really see like long-term care as that, uh, uh, that sexy topic to address, you know? It's something that, okay, oh my goodness, once it happens, or once my family member needs long-term care and we're forced with all these financial um, needs to pay for uh, financial care or who's going to actually provide this care, then that's when people pay attention to it. But really understanding the need to pay attention to how long-term care is delivered now, how we finance long-term care, how we're planning for long-term care is really something that um, I'm interested in in kind of um, addressing. And I, and I believe... Um, you know, just the nation overall is starting to kind of understand the need for long-term care and to address long-term care issues. Um, I believe it was Maine that just put forth a um, policy to create universal home health care for their older adults, but that actually ended up um, being shut down because the reason, reason being is that they were proposing to tax everyone who made over $120,000 um, to contribute to home health care services, where uh, others were faring that people who made over that amount, like doctors and um, other essential employees, would leave the state. Mm -hmm. So, of course, that didn't go through. But just the fact that these types of um, policies are being proposed are, are quite promising for long-term care essentially yeah well that's that's great and thank you as a as a human being who will need long-term care and whose parents may need long-term care thank you for working on it it's a it is so complex and um uh, expensive i realize and i think there's a you know some new ideas coming on the market or coming uh into fruition probably many are led by nurses in fact who have a really good and deep understanding of the need in this area. 
So, so given this conversation that we've been having about these challenges of long-term care, the complexity of it, your knowledge about it, um, and, you know, sort of change that is afoot perhaps with um, the increasing pressure and need for long-term care, um, since this is a podcast about environment and health, just to link those together, um, I just wanted to come back to see if there's anything you'd like to add, particularly about climate and impacts on the elderly and on the healthcare system. And I know this, that's not the area that you've studied, but just these conversations we've had a little bit about heat days, about flooding and severe storms. We could add increased um, vector-borne diseases in different parts of the country. Um, if we add that sort of complexity onto <laughs> the already very challenging situation we have with an aging population, uh, what sort of challenges and or solutions come to mind for you? Yeah, so so my when I think about that, I think about preparation um, and kind of enabling. So for one, how are we enabling um, nurses and other healthcare providers and providing the information related to vulnerable, pop vulnerable populations and how they are um, even more so affected by these different climate change um, related events. So, you know, you talked about fires, um, you know, you talked about related to fires, inhalation, how older adults are affected by that and how, you know, we need to actually seek out this population to provide them the proper resources to kind of help with their ability to um, just maintain their um, residence in the current environment that they are in while this natural disaster is occurring. So things like that with the heat, understanding that while you're in a setting um, where uh, it's particularly in, in, with the uh, nursing home in Florida, the um, staff did not feel that the heat had gone that high. They didn't feel that it had gone um, to 99, but it, did, it had gone to 99. That was what was recorded. And understanding that their bodies are going to be responding differently um, and not as efficiently as an older adult's body. So um, because of their decreased immune systems, um, because of just, just thinking about their organs and just their ability to respond to various environmental threats are really compromised. So understanding that first and understanding what that looks like and then how might we really, um, what are the different uh, responses that we as nurses or healthcare professionals need to understand in order to really support this population, particularly older adults in these types of circumstances, I think is important. And then after that, once people feel really comfortable in understanding these different changes, people might then be more equipped to react and respond earlier on, um, you know, before it is too late, before, oh, well, I, I was okay, you know, of course, the staff, nothing happened to the staff who were there, um, of course, they weren't there for, you know, the three days in a row, um, 24 hours, seven days a week, but just understanding that our bodies are affected differently uh, is, is one of the more important things and kind of understanding how do they respond to that and what what are the necessary responses uh, is something that's important for the particularly the older adult uh, population. So 
you know, whether it's policies and procedures that are really built um, and put in place to help with that, it would be important as well. Yeah, well, good point. And, and also, you speak to the need for nurses to understand this. And that makes me want to ask the question, did you learn about climate change in your education? Formally? <laughs> Uh, no, I did not. And, no. Uh, and that's that's another thing which was really nice about serving on the environmental public health expert panel mm-hmm. is that, you know, you 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 kind of are only exposed to what you see and how um, how these different issues are reacted, how they are reacted um, you know, by the public. And if people around you aren't really taking environmental issues seriously, then you think. Oh, you know, the environment, this environmental thing is all a hoax. But coming on to the expert panel, I really realized, you know, this is an issue. And then after that, recognize how much of um, an influence we as nurses have on environmental, um, just responding to these environmental threats and how simple, you know, of course, it could be very difficult to respond to these environmental threats, but Really, there are simple things that we as nurses can be taught and actually can um, can just, you know, really just carry out to kind of help support creating a healthier environment. And that's first kind of just understanding that in, environmental health is part of um, or really expanding human health to, envi- to include environmental health is a, is a big thing. So that was something that I uh, ended up discussing uh, recently on a policy dialogue related to climate change and climate justice and kind of how um, those around us can really help with emerging uh, leaders and scientists on incorporating us into this whole environmental health effort. Well, Jasmine, it's been a pleasure to talk with you today. Is there anything else that you'd like to say while, uh, while we're together? just kind of bringing out, which was something I forgot. It was really kind of thinking about how do we incorporate um, just education on environmental health and how nurses as well as other healthcare providers can really get involved in, um, in just creating a healthy environment for all uh, is, is something important. Something that you all will be working on from this policy dialogue in regards to five things that um, nurses nurses should know in regards mm-hmm. to like how they can kind of help with uh, different uh, what was it like the five drill down things? Yeah, the drawdown based on the drawdown yeah. Um, idea. Right. Yeah, I think that's something exciting to look out for. Terrific! Thank you so much for spending time with me today, Jasmine. And thank you all for listening to the Nurses for Healthy Environments podcast. Check us out at environ.org, or you can find this and many other episodes. Also, please leave a review for us wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks, and talk to you next time.